Welcome to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. Today's message by Pastor Sean Wood is a letter to the glorious church. Let us come around the word. Uh, as you do, I'll pray as we, t- if you'd like to meet me in Ephesians chapter 4 this morning, I'll pray as we begin to. Father, I thank you that your word is living and active. And for that end, we ask that it would be living and active in each side of every one of us this morning. I pray that the seed would reach good soil in our hearts. And Lord, produce a harvest for you in your glorious and wonderful name. Amen. The, uh, the month of September, we have, I've called it Vision Month, just where I believe God is taking us as a church. And uh, in the first week, we looked at going deeper in God. And going deeper in God, we complicate it so often, we try to create formulas so often, and we see in the the account of both the rich young ruler and Zacchaeus, the huge difference is simply what they valued. We see that the rich young ruler was looking to add, what can I add to my resume? What benefits can I find in Jesus? But by the time we get to Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, who was a rich man and a tax collector, said, I will give half of my goods to the poor and reimburse those I have ripped off fourfold. Who knows he had nothing left? He says, I don't care about any of this anymore. So going deeper with God looks about what we value. Last week we looked that if we want a different result in our lives, we have to, we have to do something different. We have to, if we want a different harvest, we have to differ what we're sowing into our lives. And we looked at the importance of the Word of God in each and every one of our lives and how it must reach good soil in our hearts. Today, uh, I would title today's message, A Letter to the Glorious Church. And uh, we're going to look in a moment of, uh, of what church should actually be. What does the Bible say church should be? And we're going to go in a moment to that. But we should take uh, somewhat of a, uh, a warning, I think. I think this heralds a warning. You know, each and every Sunday, uh, particularly this time of the year, uh, do you know thousands of people will crowd into football stadiums on a Sunday and cheer for about 30-odd blokes running around chasing a red ball. And we struggle to fill the pews in churches. But we should, we should take a warning from these guys because I am somewhat convicted myself because here we have these guys, you know what, no matter the result, these fans still turn up to the game and do you know that the price has gone up every year for however many years and no one's ever questioned the price and these guys are there an hour before the game because they don't want to miss their seat and if it goes into overtime, no one's looking at their watch going, what time is this thing supposed to finish? And sometimes we too can come to church with a mentality of, I want to be entertained. And I've said it before and I'll say it again, church is actually not about you, it's about him. Well, what we do here on Sunday is about him. We're going to have a look at that today and what that looks like. But uh, we should, I've been convicted lately to, to realise that church is not a place that I go, it's what I'm a part of. You know, when Paul talks about the body of Christ in 1 Corinthians 12, he uses the word belong quite a few times. People are looking for a place to belong. They're looking for a community. Jesus started the greatest community that you could belong to 2,000 years ago. It's called the kingdom of heaven. Some months ago, we looked at the word worship, just briefly. 
And um, there's a hermeneutical principle. And look, these words, hermeneutics, they're just words preachers float around to make us sound intelligent. It really just means how we have guiding principles and boundaries to interpret the word of God. But one of them is that if you want to know what a word truly means in scripture, go back to the place of first mention. So we did that with worship. We went back to Genesis 22 and we realized that Abraham had Isaac going up a mountain and said to those that were with him, me and the lad are going to worship. And everybody's going, hang on a second, where's Chris Tomlin and Hillsong? Where's the band? They weren't there because worship is a posture of the heart. We see that we do sing, but we sing from a posture in our lives of worship. So I went this week, I went back to the first place that church is mentioned. And it comes from the lips of Jesus. He says in Matthew chapter 16, I will build my church. And she is glorious, Lord. She's a glorious bride that he is building. I thank God because uh, he is building his church, which means <laughs> the pressure's off me and the pressure's off you. And the truth been told, I've spent uh, in the 13.2 nanoseconds that I've been a pastor and I've been in pastoral circles, I've come to one conclusion very quickly. We need less CEOs running churches and more pastors. More people shepherding, more people leading the flock. So that's a huge challenge to us as pastors. And my, my prayer for this church is that in three to five years, I'm not talking a different body, I'm simply saying my prayer is that you would have a better pastor. So what does the glorious church look like? Jesus said that I will build my church, and he said this in response to Peter. The Catholics got it wrong. Jesus wasn't talking about, I will build it upon us on popes. Thank God for that. But <clears throat> Jesus, Peter says, Jesus questions his disciples and says, who do you say that I am? And Peter gets it right. One of the times that he does, Peter gets it right and he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, because flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven and You are Peter, and upon this rock I'll build my church. What's the rock that he will build his church on? The rock of the revelation of who Jesus Christ is. You see, our vision here at the rock is to know Christ and to make him known. And I think the second part is an organic process of the first. The more that we know Jesus, the more that we truly get to know Jesus, we will not be able to help but to make him known. We'll look more at the make him known next week. If you could move to the first quote, please, Karen. Uh, G.K. Chesterton, the wonderful wordsmith, uh, he says that we do not want, as the newspapers say, a church that will move with the world. We want a church that will move the world. We don't want a church that's going to stand up in Australia and say, you know what, we accept same-sex marriage and if you would like to, you know, um, it's up to you if you want to marry same-sex couples in your church. No, 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 no. We don't want to move with the world. We want to be a church that moves the world. It's not because we hate anybody. It's not because we're against anything. It's because we're for marriage and we're for life. So what does this glorious church look like? Well, you know, Paul writes the letter to the Ephesians and most theologians would say that this is one long prayer. 
Most scholars say that this is just one long prayer of Paul's, but it's like Paul, the letter to the Ephesians is like Paul takes a snapshot and then sends everybody a postcard and says, this is what a glorious church would look like. And we're going to bypass the first three chapters and we start in verse one of chapter four. And Paul says, I therefore, and whenever there's a therefore in scripture, we have to pause long enough to ask, what's it there for? Paul is referencing the, the previous three chapters. And Paul is now going to say, this is what the church must do. But before he gets to that, he tells us who we are. He tells us the position that we have in Christ. Listen to some of the words from chapter one. He says, a blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. A new Mercedes and a five bedroom house is not a spiritual blessing, but he has given us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy. Paul would outline who we used to be, but then he comes in chapter two to a huge but, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive with Christ. You're alive with Christ today. That's good news, friends, because by grace, you have been saved. Time to go to the well. So now after all of that, of, of Paul saying who we are and the, and the way he finishes chapter three is beautiful. Now to him who was able to do far more abundantly than all that we could ask or think according to the power at work within us. Soak in those words for a couple of days. 21, to him be the glory in the church. Yes, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. I therefore, says Paul, a prisoner for the Lord, and he's speaking physically. You see, he was one of the, Paul was an apostle, but he was a pastor as well. Did some of his greatest pastoral work while he was in chains. You can't shackle God. You can shackle men, but you can't shackle the work of God. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling you have received. What is this walking in a manner worthy of what we have, of the calling we have received? We'll get to the calling in a moment, but walking worthy, let's, let's, let's break it down to the easiest way I could describe it. Let's say that, let's say that uh, Michael here, you sit in the front row, brother, you're an open target. Let's say Michael here decides that this week he's going to go to a nightclub and he drinks far too much and he gets into a fight, he gets thrown out of the club and he's put in jail. Who knows that the only person that gets a phone call is me and mama. (laughs) But now let's flip to the other side of the coin and let's say Prince Harry. He decides to go to a nightclub this weekend and he gets drunk and he gets into a fight and he gets chucked out and he gets arrested. Who cares who gets the phone call? Who knows it's in tomorrow's newspaper? It's on tomorrow's news and everybody knows. Why? He failed to walk in a manner worthy of the name that he bore. What Paul is saying is, remember who you are as you conduct your life in this world. Remember who it is that branded you with his name. Whenever God made a covenant in the Old Testament, he changed the person's name. Abram went from Abram to Abraham. And so it is with us that we should walk in a manner worthy. Brother Earl, I couldn't help it. I must. 
used C.H. Spurgeon this morning, and he says, I do not think the devil cares how many churches you build if only you have lukewarm preachers and people in them. See, C.H. Spurgeon can use one sentence and punch you square between the eyes. He has a way, he's gifted like that. Uh, so let's move on to the calling. Uh, we should walk worthy of the calling that we have received. What is this calling? This is, this is a calling that has both its origins, its nature and its destiny in the heavenlies. This is a, this is a heavenly calling and in the Greek it has the idea of an invitation. You see, God makes his invitation to us and then he uses us to make his invitation to everyone else. It's beautiful how he does that. He takes our broken, distorted mess and says, I'm going to make my call to mankind through that. That's called trophies of grace, which we get to in the first epistle of Peter when I come back from holidays. But this calling is an invitation. And who knows that the words on the invitation are nowhere near as important as the person who makes the invitation. Let me use another analogy yet again. Let's say that I invite you to dinner at my house and I write on a piece of paper, I invite you to dinner, please come. Who knows that you would probably turn up to my house in jeans and a t-shirt and be completely overdressed. Now let's flip it to the other side and let's say that the Queen sends you an invitation and says, please come to my house for dinner. Same words, different person. Who knows that if you turned up in your jeans and t-shirt, you wouldn't get past the front gate. It's got nothing to do with the words on the paper and it's got everything to do with the person who makes the invitation. What Paul is saying is, uh, you will walk worthy of the calling you have received if you just grasp who it is that gave you that calling. That's why the first part of our vision is to know Christ. The more you know Christ, the more you'll get this. So what is this manner that we should be conducting ourselves in? What is this manner that Paul is talking about? He says, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. I'm going to use the New Living Translation that I bought for my wife some years ago because I like the wording that it uses in these verses. Verse 2 says, always be humble and gentle. What does it mean to be humble? Uh, if you could throw up the first quote, the next quote there, please, Karen. To be humble, says A.W. Tozer, walking in humility isn't focusing on what we are not, rather it's declaring what God is. You see, humility isn't running around putting yourself down because God has never done that. Whereas humility isn't running around telling everybody how bad you are. God doesn't need you to tell him. That's why he sent Jesus. Humility is, I am what I am by the grace of God. That's what the Apostle Paul would say. I am who I am by the grace of God. That's what humility is. Humility focuses on the one with all the power. This is very encouraging for pastors because in all of our inadequacies and insufficiencies, we serve one who is completely adequate and completely sufficient. Praise be to the living God. So humility is a posture of how we view ourselves. We should, the manner that we should conduct our lives looks like a lowliness of mind. We're not exalting ourselves. We're not puffing ourselves up. The next one, of course, is gentleness, which says a sweet reasonableness in treating others. Simply, that's what it means. It means to be sweet and gentle in how we treat others. Unless it's your children and then you can tase them. Now I'd like to read again from the New Living Translation. Always be humble and gentle, be patient with each other. And this patience is a forbearance. And what does that look like? We need to read the rest to make it up. 
It says, be patient with each other, making allowances for each other's faults because of your love. That's what bearing with each other in love looks like. We're, we're, we're being patient with each other, making allowances for each other's faults. Who knows that you just may have as many faults as the person sitting next to you. Not you, Brother Rob, we know. We, we sign that disclaimer. You've moved to the front row, Daryl. Yeah. <laughs> we'll get to you, brother. <laughs> Who knows that a patient, loving forbearance looks like uh, sometimes, you know, God will always bring people along to chip away at our jagged edges. I learned this lesson quite earlier, and I can remember my first pastor having a conversation with him and saying, you know what, it would be a whole lot easier to love that person if they were just a whole lot nicer. And I began to realise that uh, I don't pray for people, I don't pray for cleaners to be removed or anything like that, but, you know, sometimes I've realised that we just desire for God to take certain people out of our circle, and the minute they're gone, someone exactly the same comes back in. The exam room of God, you will sit that exam (laughs) until you pass. God's grade point average is A pluses all the way. Because no one graduates until you've passed the exam. But who knows that this is actually what the glorious church looks like. The glorious church looks like we work together. We, we put up with each other's jagged edges. We put up with our pastor's jagged edges. They may be few, but you've got to put up with them. Back to, back to humility, Pastor Terry. Back to, back to humility. But the next one I think is the most important. Let's keep reading. Uh, back into the ESV. Eager, it says, uh, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. And I love not only what Paul says here, but what he doesn't say. Paul did not say we must create a spirit of unity in our churches. That's not what Paul says. Paul says you must maintain what is already there. You've got to keep it. This goes more than, this word maintain means more than mowing the grass. This is like an active preserving the spirit of unity. See, we want, the, we want the Holy Spirit to move in our lives. We want the Holy Spirit to move in our church. But so often God lights fires all over the place and we run around chucking water on it. The unity of the spirit must be maintained. Did you hear about such and such? No, and I don't care. Did you hear that our pastor's a Fitzbo? Yes. My daughter's not here. She would say something different to that. So the unity of the spirit is best understood by what it is not, says Charles Spurgeon. He says it's not evil suspicion and it's not spiritual tyranny. It's not a uniformity of the spirit, says Charles Spurgeon. You said amen when I said Fitzbo, right? In the Greek... Or in the Hebrew, which one do you want? (laughs) I'll I'll, I'll let you look it up. It's not a uniformity of spirit. It's not about form. It's not about regulations. It's not about rules. We don't create this. Spurgeon says, the way to promote unity in our churches is for us to live near to Christ. 
you know, well, I was born again in the Salvation Army. I appreciate everything that the Salvation Army do. I appreciate being able to be born again in their midst. And I can remember that when we were, uh, there was a science teacher we had that used to do the kids' talk. Halfway through the service, we used to have a kids' talk. We don't do those things anymore. We should probably start it back up. And he would do these quirky little science experiments. I, I reckon he should have been a preacher. Man, he, he, the, the truth that he unlocked was profound. And one Sunday, one that stuck with me ever since and has revolutionised my life, he brought down two nails and a magnet. And I think I've used this one before. And he takes one of the nails and he touches the other nail. And he says, you see, there's nothing happens there. But then he takes one of the nails and he starts rubbing it up and down the magnet for some time while he's talking. Then he takes that self-same nail and touches the nail again and it picks up the nail. I know, right? Science was never that fun when I was at school either. (laughs) But it was a beautiful, profound point that the more we spend time next to the magnet, the more magnetism we actually have. And and having a unity of spirit is living next to the one, as close as we can, that is most unified. It's Jesus. The closer we are to Jesus, uh, who knows the more unity we have in our hearts, who knows the more tolerance we have, even for our children. This unity can be best understood upon the grounds on which it stands. Let's keep reading. There is, says Paul, one body, there is one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. We stand on common ground. That common ground is we all fall short of the glory of God. And if it was not for Jesus... None of us could attain to that standard. Uh, in chapter 2, uh, Paul talks about the fact that the walls of hostility are broken down. There was, there's a pastor that I follow in America that decided, I'm going to go to Memphis and I'm going to start a church and it's going to be one of the only churches in the South, Brother Mark, that will be black and white. You wouldn't think that would happen today, would you? That that would be a struggle today. And if you think that Coloured folk are unnecessarily unwelcome in white churches. White people are just as unwelcome in black churches. But he said, I'm not going to have it that way because the gospel doesn't sound like that. The gospel that we read in here doesn't sound anything like that. It sounds like black and white. Heaven is a picture of us all standing on the same common ground, realising that Jesus levels every single one of us. Built that church to thousands, did Brian Loritz, before he handed it over. Thousands of coloured folk and white folk and chocolate and vanilla, whatever you want to call it, all worshipping God together. Praise God. The common ground is the unity that we form. It's the common ground that we stand on, is Christ. It is the grace, says Paul, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. We each have been given this wonderful grace and favour. It is God's gift to us and it is determined and measured by Christ. I now want to talk about functionality when it comes to the church because we get this part wrong too. Let's have a look at what Paul says it looks like. Uh, We will skip down to verse 11 and it says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and the teachers. 
to go out and do all the work so that nobody else had to do anything. That's not what he says. It's not what he says. We get this wrong. Let's read that again. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and the teachers so that we could be fully entertained on a Sunday morning. That is not what Paul said. Yeah, a, a snapshot of the glorious church is in fact, we don't have any heroes. This room is full of heroes. And what Paul actually says here, yeah, we need to note firstly that it is Jesus that gives the prophets. It is Jesus that gives the pastors. Have a listen to what the New Living Translation says. Now there are gifts Christ gave to the church. They are prophets, apostles, evangelists, pastors and teachers. Verse 12 says in the New Living Translation, their responsibility is to equip God's people. The glorious church looks like Not a handful of people ministering, but everybody ministering. What do I mean by that? C.S. Lewis, greatest apologist, I think, of the last century. C.S. Lewis writes in his book, The Four Loves, he's speaking of friendship, and I can't for the life of me remember the third name, and I tried to find it, I couldn't find it. But there's a group of three, C.S. Lewis, one man, and a guy by the name of Charles. Great friends, very close friends. And C.S. Lewis describes the grief they all felt when Charles passed away unexpectedly. And C.S. Lewis says, the biggest surprise to me was that coming away from this event, C.S. Lewis says, I thought I would have more of my friend now because Charles is gone and there's only two of us that we would, he would have more of me and I would have more of him. And uh, C.S. Lewis says, I found out very quickly that I had less. Why? Because there was a certain portion of me and there was a certain portion of my friend that only Charles could bring out. And there is a certain portion of God working in and through your lives that if you're not here, I miss out on. You see, if you're not here, that doesn't mean I get more of God. It means I get less of God. If you're not here, Peter says in his epistle that the much varied grace of God flows freely through us. It doesn't say just through the pastor. Praise God for that. But through us. This is about a unity where we all see the glory of God in each and every one of our lives. I've had the privilege in the short time that I've been here to walk with people through some storms in their lives and through some great triumphs in their lives. But I see so much more of God in everything that happens in our lives. I see how God relates to other people differently. I see how people relate to God differently. That's what equipping for the work of the ministry looks like. It is all of us expressing our faith. It's Look, plug into life groups. I encourage you to plug into life groups. And, and as elders, we're going to unpack what this looks like for us moving forward. But equipping the saints doesn't look like you turn up here on Sunday and it's, uh, it's thank you, Pastor, for entertaining us. It doesn't look like, do you know, we don't have evangelists in the church to go and save all the lost. We have evangelists in the church to train us and to teach us and to encourage us how to reach out. We have pastors to equip you with tools and knowledge in your work, walk with God. 
And all of these are gifts that God gives to us so that we can express our ministry and our faith together. Let's keep reading. To equip the saints for the work of the ministry. This is, uh, as our physical bodies are animated by a spirit, this is God saying, this is my body animated by the Holy Spirit. A unity. A work of the ministry for building up the body of Christ. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. And the knowledge of the Son of God, the best way to understand that sentence, is an increase of intimacy and experience of God. Does anybody want to put their hand up for that this morning? I could do with an increase of intimacy and experience with God. And do you know, if you, it's as we do this as a unit that we're built up. It's the building up of the body. It's, uh, it's edification, it's lifting, and it's encouragement. We don't put the stones together, but we do lift each other up. This is gifts and ministry are for us to be edified as well as mobilised. It's uh, one way to understand it, I guess, would be in an army setting. You take people off the streets and you train them and equip them and give them the, the, the tools that they need so that when the battle comes, they're prepared. Reading on, Paul says, and this is where I think this is an endemic in the Western society, in the Western church at the moment, that we need to address. The knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood or a, a, a completion, a growing up, to the measure of the full stature of the fullness of Christ. Beautiful words. Verse 14, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro, both by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. Recently, somebody posted on Facebook, it was interesting, that they, they posted on a social media site, Luke 4.7, it was a Christian social media site, and they posted Luke 4.7, which says, uh, worship me and I will give you all that you want. I will give you all that I have. And he said, I got nearly 600, he said, I got nearly 600 comments on that, and only 30 of them pulled me up on what it actually means. They are the words of the tempter to Christ. Bow down and worship me and I will give you all that I have. We need to be careful about every wind of doctrine. We need to be careful to stay here and not be tossed. The word tossed means an unsettled condition of mind and a lax, firm conviction. Who knows that Jesus is all about moving people from opinion to conviction? Conviction looks like something in our lives. Faith comes, uh, in a sense, it comes as understanding when it, when it reaches the mind, then it moves to conviction when it reaches our hearts and it moves to commitment when it reaches our feet. And too easily we are tossed about by the waves, by the circumstances of these lives. And Peter was going great guns when he got out of the boat. Jesus said, Peter, come. <laughs> so there's a word to you, Peter, come. So he gets out of the boat, he starts walking, but then he does something really silly, Michael. He started looking at the wind and the waves. The circumstances of life and the many different philosophies of men. The place has gone crazy. We've got people making covenants with the universe. What for? The universe can't hear you. We too often settle, move, settle for movement instead of growth. You know, we think movement is, we're getting tossed here by the waves, but we're moving, so that's all right. There's a difference between moving and growing. And too often 
we settle for movement. We, uh, the metaphor of toss speaks of a, of a ship at the mercy of the storm. I shared this recently on the newsletter, so I'll see those that read the newsletter in a moment. But uh, I wrote in the newsletter recently, one of my favourite TV documentaries is Deadliest Catch. Has anybody watched that? Deadliest Catch? No. These guys are fishing for crab in the Bering Sea, Apelia and King Crab in the Bering Sea. Supposed to be one of the deadliest professions outside of pastoring in the world. <laughs> Anyway, uh, <clears throat> it's interesting. These guys, I, I, I've seen footage of these guys go down inside of a wave and they can't see what's in front of them. And these guys are just sitting there having a cigarette, drinking some Red Bull, she's all good, no problems. They're not concerned. The minute they hit the panic buttons and everybody on the boat goes into a scamper is if the engine goes out. Because all of a sudden, they realise what's out there, we're at the mercy of that. You see, when I've got an engine, I can punch into the waves and I can do whatever I need to do. I'm in control in a sense, but, you know, you cut them engines out and we're in trouble. We'll get capsized, turned about and upside down. And so it is with our spiritual life. So often we're tossed because we don't have a firm conviction and we don't keep ourselves under steam. Keep ourselves in contact with the magnet. Let's read on. That we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine and by human cunning and by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Too many of them around today. Too many of them from behind the pulpits. Anything that comes from the pulpit that doesn't line up with this, disregard it. Rather, verse 15 says, rather... Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. Rather being true in love or acting honestly, and it also speaks of how we personally cling to and hold to the truth of the word. Speaking the truth in love, but also clinging to the truth in love. Isn't it interesting how the word is so often linked to our growth? The glorious church is a church that clings to the word, the whole body. I love what 1 Corinthians 12 tells us, and I've touched on this, that we, that we belong and we're a part of. See, church isn't somewhere you go. Church is what you're a part of. The body of Christ is not something you visit. It's what you're a part of. Uh, I have had, apart from football injuries, I've had the good fortune of not suffering too many in- injuries, but at one point in time, I dislocated my kneecap and my whole body was incapacitated. I wanted to go to work and I couldn't go to work. I wanted to go and do something and I couldn't do it because one small part of my body wasn't functioning as it's perfect. The older you get, the less functions perfectly, Michael. I've learned that. That says that every part of the body actually needs the other part of the body. If the body doesn't have any eyes, you're crashing into everything. Do you know if you cut off both your big toes, you've got zero balance? Very small. And yet all of this, tongue-in-cheek, all of this evolved. Mm. Yes, of course it did. The whole body, each part needs to be doing its part. This isn't isn't coming to church on a Sunday where three or four people get up and exercise their gifting. This is about everybody else exercising their giftings. Not just here on a Sunday, but on a Monday, a text message. How are you going? A text message. I read this. It's, it's two or three people, perhaps, getting together in groups and saying, let's, let's talk about this over coffee. This has to be organic. 
You know, as pastors and leaders, we can institute programs that are all exciting for four to six weeks. Then they fizzle out like firecrackers. This has to be organic and it has to come from the heart. And then you're going to want to do this. And growth is organic. What happens when two people decide, let's get together and pray, Rob? Two turns into ten pretty quickly. What happens when a couple of ladies decide we need to get together and pray, Liz? A couple of ladies turns into eight to ten on a Wednesday morning. That's what happens when it's organic. Praise God. But the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part, which I've just touched on, is working Excuse me, he's working properly. It makes the body grow. Why does the body not grow? Because the parts aren't working properly. How do we work properly? We stay connected. That's the glorious church. The community of Jesus is so different to other communities. The community of Jesus, we may have, Jesus may have outlined, these are the conditions of entry. You've got to believe in your heart, confess that I am Lord. This is what it looks like. But we don't, we don't, uh, we don't shut the gates on anybody. So many other communities in the world today shut the gates. You can't come in. The community of Jesus is all can come in. Great invitation. But each part is working properly and it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in, oh, there's that dirty word again, love. The Apostle John, history would tell us the Apostle John is uh, banished to Patmos because they tried to burn him in a pot of oil and that didn't work. So Nero says, get him out of my face, basically puts him on Patmos. And then a new emperor comes in and says, no, you know what, let John out. So John comes off Patmos and he finishes his years ministering in Ephesus. They say he lives to about 98, so he doesn't quite get a letter from the Queen. But those that do remember, and history records, John, so old and frail, being carried to the church services in Ephesus, muttering the words, love one another, love one another, love one another. Love is actually organic if you spend any length of time near the most loving person in the universe, it's just organic. The jagged edges just fall off. Love covers over a multitude of sins or offences. What does that mean? All the little offences that would normally arise, we just let them go. Love has a habit of just going, it doesn't matter. The The old Aussie slogan, she'll be right. Doesn't matter. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, fantastic expositor of the word. He says, the glory of the gospel is that when the church is absolutely different from the world, she invariably attracts it. Rodney Howard Brown would say, we need to be a little bit more peculiar, Brother Terry. Comes easier for some, Daryl. I couldn't leave you out. You sit on the front row. (laughs) For some, it's a natural gift. For others, God has to give it to us graciously. But we are actually called to be different. We're actually called to be peculiar. When when the church is so separate from the world, you know the world is looking for leadership. The world is actually looking for leadership. The world, it may hate us. The world may consider us to be intolerant. That's That's a dirty word in church circles at the moment, tolerance. But they need actually a body of people to stand up and go, this is what's right and this is what's wrong. 
We need to remove the grey and just talk in black and white. Next week, we're going to look more at what that looks like. But for this week, can we bow our heads in prayer? Father, I thank you for the privilege that you invited me into the greatest community in the universe. Jesus, your church is beautiful and you, you will build your church whether I'm here or whether we're here, it doesn't matter. You'll build your glorious church no matter what. And I thank you for that. I thank you that you're the all-powerful one. I thank you that you have all the wisdom and not us. I thank you that you have all the power and all the grace and all the love and I only ask, Lord, that we would have that same grace and that same love in this place. Lord, find us surrendered and build us, I pray, as a church. Build us in love. Fit us together, we pray, Lord Jesus. And allow us to be a light that shines brightly in our community. Father, for your glory, we pray. Take our surrendered hearts. Build your church in your wonderful and glorious name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. To be notified when the next episode is available, subscribe on our website at therock.org.au. You can also connect with us on Facebook at The Rock Christian Church. We hope you have been blessed today and we look forward to you joining us for our next episode.